California ranks 49th out of 50 states when it comes to affordable housing. Governor Gavin Newsom demanding an investigation as to why Californians pay more at the pump. Certainly, when someone has a company, their job is to make the proper investment, take care of their shareholders, their employees, and the community in which they're at. And our job in government passed laws to set the bar at a, at a reasonable level. It's legal to hunt humans with 15-round, 30-round, even 150-round magazines. Today, Governor Gavin Newsom signed an executive order directing agencies to find state land that could be dedicated as temporary shelter location. We're providing health care for everyone, regardless of immigration status. If you believe in universal health care, you believe in universal health care. This is a ghost gun. This right here has ability with a 30 caliber clip to disperse with 30 bullets within half a second. 30 magazine clip in half a second. Welcome to the California Streaming Podcast with your hosts, Bobby, Jonathan, and Louie. We're just a couple of common sense California natives sharing commentary on our state's current events. So hop on our magic bullet train to nowhere and let's talk some California politics. It's a new year. It's a new, it's a new intro. Gentlemen, welcome back. Pumped. Yeah, took a little bit of time off to regroup and figure out. Retool the podcast. Figure out what we want to do thing. with this thing. Well, we have been getting your emails about where we went, and we're back. So that all is well. That actually kind of surprised me that we got listener mail that wondered where the show went. Kind of cool. We appreciate <laughs> it. Cool. The fans have spoken. We have returned. What's not cool, though, is California, in our absence, has most certainly not turned into a constitutionally conservative state. <laughs> you know, and, uh, so, and so because of that, we have more stories than ever. You know, I kind of felt that 2019 was just kind of this gigantic <laughs> Monty Python sketch. Right. <laughs> and we were in the whole bit of it. Oh my god. Why gosh. do you want to be a woman, Loretta? <laughs> there is there's definitely no shortage of news and I feel like it just keeps piles up. up. That's right. Uh the governor's been working on his budget. I mean, you got to put that in. You can't see us, but we're putting that in air quotes. Yeah. Uh, we're talking a billion dollars to homelessness. Sure. I mean, crazy. Funny money. Throw it around. It's it's what is the issue? Like this key this is a hot button topic, right? We're right. homeless, homeless, I mean, homeless. We're gonna, we we're gonna it. jump into it. It's it's it one of our it's deals. Of our and yeah. it's true. Like you look around, we're seeing it in our towns more and more. I mean on the margins, but that's how it happens, right? You just driving down the street the other day and it dawns on me like, well, I'm used to seeing a couple people in this area asking for money, panhandling. But now I'm also seeing here and here, and it's just the consistency is increasing. Um, you hear a couple schools of thought, though, on it, that there's there's the group that's down on their luck, right? Correct. There's the group that's mentally ill. Exactly. There's the group that wants to be homeless. Right. And you wonder, is there a solution to all of that, right? Which is it? I don't... Has anyone... I'd love to see an actual study that tries to figure out the demographic of the homeless. We use this general term, the homeless. And so many people I've come across don't want any help. The only thing you can say with certainty is that for our elected officials, the one thing necessary for any solution is more money. 
Always. I mean, I mean, and that's the whole point it of the billion dollars. All our problems. What does the Kirk? billion go to? No, you know, you're asking too many questions at yeah. that point. Just sign the check, Louis. Shut up. <laughs> no, I, no I, I know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> but Pay now I'm going to walk you through and what, shut up. Okay. I'm going to walk you through what I'm saying in my no, mind. No, I mean, my understanding is they're, you got cities and, and counties getting down to, uh, they're trying to literally build, you know, stacked kind of, okay, I'll call them rooms or like, I don't know what these buildings are called, but they're trying to come up with all of these. Like yurts. Yeah, these interesting like cargo containers. Small stacked. Yeah, put everyone in a connex right. box. Well, see, the homeless have already figured out that solution in stacking their own homing, you know, <laughs> in the riverbeds and the alleyways, wherever they can find it. So did I, did I read an article uh, not too long ago that I think they're like, they're, in the, in, on average, in the streams, rivers, waterways in general of L.A. County, there's like measurable feces. Yeah, this now. was this was an article. Oh, man, where did I see it? Because when I was looking for stories for the episode, I came across this one and just talked about there is a measurable amount of feces now in the water supply. In the L.A. In River the now. LA yeah, it's yeah. a complete contaminated. <laughs> oh, jeez. Not that the L.A. River is... A gushing river. Yeah, like the it's not the Colorado. Yeah, yeah it's not the Colorado. Right. But that's, that's fair. However, there's still a little. Right, absolutely. A little, little something there. Louis, take us in, man. Okay, first topic. This is a hot button one. And I think when we first started doing this show uh, years ago, maybe a year ago, I'd always. It always struck me odd that we hadn't tried to raid Prop 13 yet, oh, considering okay. considering that oh, you're we've raided right. everything else, right? You're going uh, to right me, for it, okay. But this is on this is this on is the ballot, deal. right? So this we, is on the ballot. We gotta go there with this. One. And this took an emotional roller coaster, right? It was like doom and gloom. This is coming, and then in August it was put on hold. It's not going to be on the ballot, and now we're learning that it will be on the ballot. That's right. Um, and Prop 13 is a big deal. This is probably one of the biggest pieces of legislation that California has ever passed um, going you, back to originally originally yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with Howard Jarvis and you know one of the co-authors of bill so uh, what prop 13 and a little bit of backstory on 13 because a lot of people talk about it and I think it's important to understand what it is now mm-hmm. and then how the uh, ballot measure is going to change that right just a little tweaks, little tweaks. Right, just little tweaks so basically uh Prop 13 was a way for Californians to limit the amount of property tax being opposed on them. That's right. So back in the 70s, property tax kept going up. It would go up twofold every year. It would just keep going up. And kind of the the poster child for this entire uh, campaign was the the widow or the grandmother who had the house totally paid off, but then couldn't afford the property taxes going up every year and then was forced into homelessness. Right. So it's one of those nuances. You can plan for retirement. You should be able to pay your house off by retirement so that you don't have to worry about one of your biggest nuts basically. But then if you can't control for any kind of property tax, you can be very well just driven out of your property because you can't afford to pay the property tax. Right. So, uh, what Prop 13 essentially did was reduce property tax by 57%, which day, is massive. Like day one on the signing or the pet, exactly. whatever you want to call it, people's property taxes dropped right. essentially by 57%. It was it was retro to 1976. Ooh. So by the time it passed uh, in June of 78, 
it took the frozen rate from 76 and went from there. And what it did was it limited your increase to no more than 2% a year unless the property was sold. And it was based off the assessed value of the, the home. And once sold, it would be a 1% assessment and then the 2% thereafter. So if you owned your ho- your house, let's say in 1978 or whatever, your property tax couldn't go up more than 2% every year after that based on the, the assessed value of the house the last when, time it was when assessed. When you bought it. Right, because right. that's typically when your house gets reassessed is if you buy it or you do a major remodel to it, right? So some people are always looking to curb their remodels so it doesn't trigger a giant tax bill. Because here's the other thing. You bought a house in the 70s, mm-hmm. and then in 2018, you did a big remodel or added mm-hmm. onto it, and now you're going to have this gigantic leap mm-hmm. between that 30-year span or whatever. Whereas I'm not I'm not sure I, I know this one. Maybe you guys do. But something simple like a refi, that's not going to – that wouldn't reset. Would it? It, it, it could. Would it? Okay, okay. It could. Because you're doing a new analysis of your property. Yeah, right. That's but fair. No. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it, it's it's a tangent. You, yeah. I was just, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. So th- there are different ways in which your property can trigger that assessment. Okay. Uh, the biggest way is remodels or when you sell the house. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then I sell my house to you. And let's say I've, you know, I bought the house in 1980. Uh, the property tax was assessed at 1% of that whatever I bought it at a hundred grand, we'll say, and then it can go up 2% every year. Then when I sell it to you in 2018, you're charged that 1% of whatever the new assessed value is in 2018. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's 2% after that for you as well. Uh, This applies to commercial property as well. Mm -hmm. So that is the big, the commercial property is typically what comes out ahead in all of this because you could have bought a warehouse for pennies on the dollar that then became a, a piece of property that was worth even more down the line or people that bought in kind of industrial areas that have turned into um, like, a, you know, I, I look at like Los Feliz, you've got areas that are kind of, they were industrially or the funk zone area of Santa Barbara that were nothing right? And now all the land in those areas has gone up because that industrial kind of yeah, design right. has become you restaurants know, and was, wineries and breweries. I was totally. reading one of the articles uh, that was talking specifically about Prop 13 and this new ballot measure. And one of the, I've forgotten who said it, it was probably Sanchez, but let's say it was somebody else. They mentioned Disneyland as one of the properties that they're looking to get a whole lot of tax money out of. Exactly. Because they bought their property a long time ago when it was nothing but farmland, and now it's assessed at a different rate. They're not exactly going to move Disneyland. See, they... they, So they know they can grab a whole bunch of property tax from this entity. Now, there's a whole bunch of commercial property that changes hands on a daily basis. Somebody buys property, and they build, and so on and so forth. And if it's lucrative and somebody thinks they can make some money... Then bingo, they they buy and rebuild and do whatever they got to do. It's a normal course of business. But they're looking at some of these big projects, these big entities like Disneyland, and say, "Hey, you can't leave." Which is the whole crux of the argument. You you're not going to move, so we're going to tax you into submission. Right, and and that 
That's uh, so one of the other parts of Prop 13, and this was maybe one of the bigger components, is that it required any tax measures to get a two-thirds vote of both both of our houses in the legislature. So you couldn't just throw taxes around. You had to get a giant majority of people to vote on them. Mm-hmm. The uh, article that I took for, um, that I referenced for the ballot measure in 2020, this came from uh, hometownstation.com. And basically, it's, uh, let's see, the title is Proposition 13 Modification on the Ballot for November 2020, a split rule tax initiative set to be on the 2020 November ballot aims to modify Prop 13, requiring businesses to pay property taxes at a rate higher than that imposed on residential properties. So the ballot measure, like we've been talking Mm -hmm. about here, will affect commercial property. And like Bobby said, uh, and this is a quote from the article, We're asking for companies like Disneyland or Universal Studios to make huge amounts of money that that make huge amounts of money to pay property taxes based on fair market value. The same thing that homeowners and frankly, most businesses have to do, said Josh Petchthalt, president of the California Federation of Teachers. So here's really the other crux Mm -hmm. is when we limited the property tax, it limited the amount of money that could be used for Public safety and education. Education. Sure. Education. Okay. 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 Uh, has anybody read the the actual language in the bill for Prop 13, the new? This 2020. This uh, 2020. Ballot? No. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's hugely sold as just school bonds. It, it, it mentions nothing about the old Prop 13 other than using the same number, which was fair because they had retired Prop 13 number from the ballot measures, so as you, everybody always talks about Prop 13. Right. But it, nothing in the bill says, like, oh, by the way, we're reversing this decision from, you know, 40 years ago. Good luck. Right. Good and, luck. And, and, and it, cut, it, cut, it cut the amount of property tax money available to schools, we'll right. say, right? And then the California legislature passed a law that says basically they have to now um, kind of supplant those funds for school districts. So now the state picks up the balance of they're stuck financing all the yeah. school districts because of their loss of local <laughs> property taxes. Right. But we still fund them at a ridiculously rate. Oh, no, right. Of course. Uh, California teachers are some of the highest paid in the country next to New Jersey. Well, did you, I'm sorry if I missed it, but did you say who said that quote that you just said? Which one? The, the, we're asking for companies like Disneyland or Universal Studios. Did you notice who said that? Yeah, exactly. It's Uh, the. Josh Pachalt, president of the California Federation of Teachers. Right. Which makes Uh, sense because this is another chunk of money. Right. That the school districts don't get. We, they need it. Right. We need it. And we know how much I love. Teachers in school districts. I'm always the one to beat up on them because it's the one area that we have no no usable metrics. I'll say we have lots of metrics, right? It's our all, kids, it's our kids all, are failing. It's all fungible, it, right. right? But it's always this. Uh, well, I can't pick who's in my classroom, <laughs> therefore I just got a bunch of kids that weren't good. Sure. Right, and and now they can't argue with the teacher, or the teacher can't uh, expel them out. Right? Yeah, and then yeah, then you've got that too. Did you guys see who the major donors on Ballotpedia were to oh, this no. thing? To the to the pro of this thing, you know what the number one donor was? 
There's probably more angles in here, but on the surface, it's really interesting. You'll probably recognize some of these names. Lay it down. The Chan Zuckerberg advocacy. Get out of town. And Chan being his wife, right? Exactly. So they formed this. Well, people should read into this whole deal. And when they when they formed their charitable arm, it was done in a way that they could still. They didn't exactly give it over to charity, so the charity could do. There's still a lot of control involved that they've got. Oh, I'm sure. However, it was just very interesting to see that his wife and he are the number one supporters. And I was just trying to sit here and think through the angles of that. And no doubt there's some pretty interesting, mischievous ones. But number two is the San Francisco Foundation. Don't know him. Sounds really lib. (laughs) (laughs) Just based on the locale. Exactly. I'm going to go out on a limb here. (laughs) Number three, the SEIU, California State Council. Issues committee they they gave a hundred uh, five hundred thousand. By the way, this, the Chan Zuckerberg advocacy has given one point six million already to this. Wow, to pass. Uh, number four on the list was California Teachers Association PAC five hundred thousand. Imagine that. Mm. Number five, United Teachers Los Angeles pace issues at four hundred thousand. So, I mean, it, to your point, the donors are just stacking up in a way that makes complete sense, money's right? not the problem in the school system though <laughs> no. again wait say that one more time money is not the problem in the school system and and if i will say this okay if money is the problem it's because the money they're getting is redirected to the wrong places now we're getting to the issue right, right. the the efficiency it's the, the administration money. component um there is so much money that contributes to the bloat of school districts in the form of management I think we had a stat a couple 30 yeah. episodes ago yeah. about there's one administrator in the school districts to every one educator in the state. That's right, Louis. It's crazy. That is absolutely crazy and administrators make over 200k. A lot of them make a lot of money. And then we complain about teachers have to buy their own classroom supplies, which is totally bogus. That's awful. I right. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, but where is the money going is the problem. And that's the that's the thing, right? In in a general way, I certainly don't, and most people don't have a problem with someone's pay if it's roughly equivalent to the value that they're bringing to the marketplace. In this case, the value that said people are bringing to the marketplace should be apparent in test scores, in capabilities of graduating junior hires and high schoolers, and that's the breakdown. Right. right. It's horrendous. In the last budget, uh, Governor Fascist Newsom I like decided, that. That's a good one. That's a good name. Decided to give teachers' unions quick bailouts, large sums of cash to fund their pension obligations because guess what? Right. They don't have the money. It can make, it make an argument that these funds would you know, go to the pension systems that are for the teachers, but at the same time, we're really avoiding the real issue, which is where's the money going? I, I found a place where it's going. Okay, and may, maybe we were not to divert the conversation a little bit, but and maybe we were headed there here in a second, anyways. But am I the only one too who sees th- this is the trial balloon, right? Mm-hmm. Next down the pipeline, in my opinion, is okay. If the same, if enough people were interested in this, enough people are for sure going to be interested in. Homes that are worth five million or more getting assessed on a yearly basis. I think where you're going to have the issue is we're getting this trend line at a certain point where 
more there's more non-homeowners to homeowners. Yes. Right? And right. when something doesn't impact me directly, and I think it's uh, big business or the 1% that I'm really getting after, and I'm just a renter, or I live at my parents' house, and I'm completely, uh, I have zero clue how economics work, then I say, hell yeah, let's go ahead and raise the tax on all those people that own, you know, homes. But correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. If you are in an apartment complex, you are in a commercial building, right? There's an owner of said building that's running a business, right? And you are, as a renter, are part, quote unquote, well, and paying, I think, his, paying his business. So he's about to get reassessed on a yearly basis and marked to market. So you're going to get reassessed on your rent. The home ownership rate has been on the slide since the Great Recession here in California. And it's currently at 55%. Mm. So that means it's a lot, there's a lot of holdovers that's been going on. It had a peak of 60% back during before the Great Recession when everybody was buying, buying, buying. Oh, right. That okay. makes sense. So it fell. Uh, ninja loans, right? But they yeah. didn't have anything on which to, 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 to buy it, but they still were able to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. So it took a huge um, steep dive and it dropped about uh, 54, 53%. Sure. And now it's been some kind of coming back. Mm. Yeah. You know, I just bought a house. so That's right. There we go. Congrats. Hooray. I was doing some quick math here. Hang on one second. You bet. Okay, so let's say... So we need the Rain Man music. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that we bought a house. I'm going to go with $600,000. Okay. All right. right. Just... Sounds good. Round number. And right now your property tax would be 1%. You just that. bought it. Okay. I yep. just bought it. Okay. Yep. So that means my property tax is $6,000, right? Makes sense. And I make those on two payments, you know, annually or whatever. So we're talking about $3,000 twice a year. Now let's just say that that went up to 3%, right? Which is a nice tiny number. Right. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'm liking that. We're up to $18,000 a year. No problem. No No problem, problem, right? No problem. And you're talking two $9,000 payments a year out of that. It's a swing. We were (laughs) averaging about 3% before Prop 13. So you have to believe. That's right. That's a good metric. That's a good metric. That the metric will be somewhere around 2 to 3%. It's fair. Right? And we're talking about a year, right? Not, no, that's right. Not, yeah. I mean, not the fact that you're just, uh, I guess I'll, I'll step that back. There's two values. There's the value when you first buy it. And then there's the value can go up after that. Right. So it's trying to figure out what will the percentage be when you first buy the property at that initial assessment. Yeah. And then where it goes after that. And the other thing I'll say too, just cause I don't know if we were super clear. The way the ballot measure reads is it goes off market value, not purchase price. That's the mm-hmm. no, but see now you're talking about which the, is in a my huge opinion kicker. is the critical element. In in in, in the financial world, right? The the term is you you're going to have to mark to market your home or sorry, the commercial property for now. Mark to market that commercial property every year. Even let's be on the conservative side. Let's say it's all somewhere in between and it's 2%. And let's say like it magically stays at 2%. That's only half the battle because your $600,000 home in a state that supply is limited so that the rate of increase 
of the value of your commercial property is going up probably more than it should, given if there were normal market forces at play and there was supply coming online. It's not. It's raising it, I don't know, let's use 10%. Well, 600000 goes to next year, 660000 times 2%. Then the next right. year, somewhere north of 720000 times 2%. That's the number that's really starting. There's two variables the entire time that are working against you. Exactly. And I have to believe, at least right now, it's based on an official assessor's assessment of the property, right? Market value, does that just mean the comps of your neighborhood? (laughs) Right? Uh Right? No, no, it it most certainly does. Right. So so there's no more like, I got to trigger an official... Which right. appraisal of my property, i.e., a purchase, right? Or somebody's actually coming out and physically doing some kind of appraisal now, or an assessment. Right now, it's just market value. So, do I just look at neighborhoods and say, "Oh, well, we estimate that the market value of this house went up thirty grand." Oh yeah, don't. I mean, you're, I don't think you're suggesting otherwise, but you're going to be told what that value is, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> you don't get to dispute it. That's right. I mean, some people do dispute their assessments, sure, but for the most part. They tell you what it's worth and Big then time. send you a bill. Big time. And like all things with government, you've then got to fight it. Yes. You got to pay it and fight it. No, you're guilty until you prove yourself <laughs> exactly. to be innocent. Just like the IRS, man. You know, when exactly I was uh, right. going through the process of buying my home, I wanted to purchase a different home. And the gentleman who had purchased the home I was interested in, he had purchased it at one price during the height of the recession, actually. And his house value dropped and came back. And it was now only worth a little bit more than what he had purchased it for. Yeah, got it. So we thought it was overvalued when we wanted to buy it. So we offered him even less. Yep. He didn't want to budge on it because he didn't want to lose money on the deal. He'd rather just sit it out and okay. wait yep. like 10 years until... S- sounds like an arm's length market transaction. Exactly. If he didn't have the mean, the reason to sell it, then why? Great. You know, that's exactly where we're at. How bad is this going to be? in the state overall, if we find out that the market value for everyone's homes are way overvalued at the current price now, and people don't want to pay what the market assessment is based on the government's assessment, they're going to overvalue these homes and nobody's going to want to buy them because they're overpriced. I see. You're, you, I, let me get this right. What you're arguing is that you are introducing an artificial market maker, a price point Mm -hmm. into the equation here. Someone who has nothing to do with the actual transaction market, but who has everything to do with assessing it at an inflated value. So as to get more property taxes. But now that the but now that when two people enter a transaction, that number setting there as the quote unquote official government value. So Mm -hmm. why in the world are you going to be willing to sell for less than that? That's right. I'll take it a step further. What about when the, entity that's setting the value is also influencing the laws around how many how much of the supply can be built tricky right how do you how do you set these numbers and you're also playing judge and jury for the market controls of supply and demand i'll tell you a great example of that that i've that i started to hear more people talk about after the the fire and mudslides that we had, you know, you talk to people who lived in Santa Barbara for a very long time, and they would tell you that up on Mountain Road, you you just weren't allowed to build. No one built up there. Well, how did houses end up there? Well, when you really think about it, right, the city is torn in this issue of well, 
if we submit a building permit and the homes that are going to get built there are going to be worth three, four million bucks, that's not the worst income right, <laughs> from a yeah. property tax perspective. Oh, of course not. Right? So back to your point, the incentives really become skewed in a situation like this where why would they be incentivized to bring supply online when the net net value of all homes would drop because of the new supply and they may take in less. Right. 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 And I don't think that's a, I don't think it's a poor argument to no, make. It's no. something I'd be very concerned about in a state right now that, that does control supply and demand that does not allow a whole lot of building and homes, what are we? We were like 3 million homes under where we needed to be. Oh, what yeah. was that stat? Oh, so, yeah. oh yeah. We were, right. we were quite under. And then the key word that you used was allow. That's right. right. Ouch. That's right. It, do I, it, it goes back to the basic premise. Do I actually own my home? Mm-hmm. Or does the government own my home? Because what happens when I don't pay my taxes? Yeah, they take it. Mm-hmm. You get leaned on. Oh. And they sell your home at auction to somebody else. Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> Mm. It is it is pretty interesting when you think about it. There's really no way to just own a piece of property outright. You always have to pay a bill on it. I think there was a state, it might be Wyoming, that I read an article six, seven years ago, who for that very reason changed the laws and they, they don't do a property tax anymore. Because for some reason they got the, which you could argue is the right idea, and said, hey, look, when someone buys a home, we we want it to be theirs. They don't owe anyone anything they probably increased the sales tax instead or something to offset it. Fine. Right. But they purposefully removed a, the property tax so that, so that wouldn't happen, but it's exactly right. You don't pay that bill. You got a problem. Government is the problem. Who's up next. Oh, let's go. Let's go to Mr. Bobby. All right. Roberto. I guess I have to read this one since, uh, if you guys did, it'd probably be pretty racist. (laughs) So, <laughs> fair enough. California is poised to extend healthcare coverage to seniors living in the U.S. illegally. Well, say this again. You know what? And this comes from the L.A. Times, who swore they would never use the word illegal. But whatever. We're using a lot of words these days that people said would never get used. So. <laughs> California has been slowly erasing legal immigration status as a requirement for medical coverage under the state's health care program for low-income residents, allowing children and this month young adults living in the U.S. illegally to enroll. Now Democratic lawmakers expect Gavin Newsom to embrace an effort to include seniors without legal status in the state's Medi-Cal program, either in his new state budget or with his signature on legislation. So, in the fascist way. (laughs) Newsom will send the legislation a full state uh, spending plan this week and is expected to unveil it Friday. State Senator Maria Elena Durazo said she expects it to include the Medi-Cal expansion after the governor told her in September that he would champion the effort in his next budget. Duranzo said that assurance prompted her to hold her bill last year that would have expanded coverage to adults over the age of 65 living here illegally. He made a very explicit com- uh, commitment that he would include in this in his budget, said Duranzo, adding that she had heard uh, not heard anything since then and was changing the uh, understanding she really wanted this thing to be pushed. So here's the real crux of it all. What's the crux? $121 million a year for about 23,000 people. 
121 million a year for 23,000 people. That comes Holy out to cow. about $5,000 per person. I per, did that. Yeah, I did that year. beforehand. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's actually su- su- substantially different from the previous uh, budget items that we had done for the younger people. Uh, for the, oh, right. The 26 and younger mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So that actually comes out to about $1,000 for somebody younger. Okay. And the reason why is because seniors use more Medi-Cal. I mean, that's just it what it is. Sense. You get older, you start using more medical services. So can we sustain this is the real question. The corey question, can you tell me what we're going to do with the borders? And then I will tell you if we can sustain this or not. <laughs> I mean, we can't sustain it already. Right. But then. <laughs> but if you have a constant leak, then you're never going to get on top of it. Like Exactly. Right. Uh, I was talking to somebody about this uh, really recently. Uh, and this person was from Canada. And they were talking about uh, their universal health care. And this person was somewhat on the conservative side, but they were talking about the universal health care in a pretty positive way. And I said, that's interesting. Um, you know, because we hear a lot of different things down here and I said, you know, you're conservative. What, how, how does that do you, do you like it? And why do you like it? You know, you can go in any time. It's good. And I said, yeah, but you got to remember one thing. You guys treat your border very differently mm-hmm. than we treat our Southern border. I mean, I don't know if you guys have last time you went into Canada, but man, I, I got questioned. I mean, I got the stink eye. Um, they are, they are serious, much more serious than we are. So, again, I there, there's other arguments to be made, but the border being also big, infinitely smaller. That's true than too. we are. They they have a less population than California itself. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. And then see how huge Canada is, and, and yeah. a lot of it's pretty barren. Yeah. I've always wondered how this works too. Like right now, I have healthcare, right? And if I'm traveling, mm-hmm. and we'll say I go to Texas mm-hmm. and I get hurt, my Anthem works. Mm -hmm. But if you have California illegal immigrant insurance, and it's just something that California has allowed you to have because of how liberal we are to it. It's interesting. Can you then go utilize it somewhere else? It's a good question. Like I, and I just don't know the, I'm completely ignorant to what the specifics of any of this looks like, but I do know on top of that, there's probably very little reimbursement given to anybody that takes this form of healthcare. If we can just use Medi-Cal or Medicare as a litmus test of how much the state actually pays back to physicians or the feds do, it's a fraction compared to the actual bill. I think um, an ambulance ride is always one of those examples. It's like $2,000 to have a paramedic transport to an emergency room and Medicare pays like $230, right? So- And and it's this constant thing we've talked about with socialized healthcare in general, and, and John's made this point over and over. We don't have a supply of doctors, first of all. And second of all, doctors don't have to take the insurance, right? I think what's going to happen is we're going to get to a point where physicians will just, at a steep discount, take cash. Exactly. Well, you right? remember- You can, usually, you can already kind of do that with doctors. Concierge doctors. Exactly. You hear the concept more and more. Well, you remember we did an episode where we were talking about how much the state pays for 
doctors, new doctors, to get reimbursed by the state. And we're spending about $300 million a year for this program in which where we pay the tuition back yeah. so long as those doctors, I'm going off the top of my head Two years, here. three years? Two years, three years. I think they had to do 60% of their... Yeah, of something their, like that. Uh, residency as... Practice. Yeah, their practice. practice had to co- constitute Medi-Cal patients or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. I want to say it was 60%. We'll have to go back into the books on, on that specific statistic. Which you always wonder, could you have just paid the loans off if you charged, if you got full rate what you were supposed to get as a doctor? Mm. Right? There's a, it's, it's kind of the same thing with uh, the, the tuition forgiveness for public employees. You could be a doctor and work at a county facility and make peanuts and then maybe have your loans forgiven in 10 years after you make your 120 payments and hopefully the program still exists. Or maybe go into private practice, actually charge what you're worth and pay the note off a lot sooner. Right. And maybe you mentioned this, Bobby, but you know, one point in the article was just reminding everybody that you know, with the Affordable Care Act, Medi-Cal it's both federal and state money. However, everything we do that mm-hmm. encompasses and includes illegal immigrants, the federal government's out. They, they don't have to, and they won't uh, help support it at all. So we're talking about measures that are purely on our backs as state taxpayers. Right. Like solely. There's no, and again, we have our own thoughts about that, but there's no other state's residences that are helping out with that at all. So any extra buck... For this sort of senior program. I have kind of a tangent, unless you have something else you want well, to get to. Well, I just here. kind of want to add it to the, you know, the overall problem with our doctor shortages here in California, which is um, more than 60% of California students who attend medical school uh, left the state. No. For their schooling. You know, they just left the state. So we have fine programs here. But the problem, guess what? It's California itself. They're not getting it. They're not getting it right. They're doing everything <laughs> that they can to make it as hard as possible to fulfill politicians' promises. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Uh, hence, a death spiral. I mean, like, why would you want to be a doctor in California other than to fulfill your hypocritical oath? Like, you will do no harm and you'll do it because you want to save people's lives? Well, we see this with also, God, a couple of our stories are going to touch on this. How many issues we're having are a result of what government did prior to that created the issues, right? And we have a couple, we have a couple, I have another story later on that it's all because of something they did. And and the reason why I asked what you had left on this story is because one of my other stories kind of piggybacks into this whole deal, and that's... California wanting to be their own generic prescription drug label, <laughs> right? I figure why not just combine these medical topics because yeah. your topic is going to lead to more money spent on this topic because um, the high price and cost comes down to the drugs for the most part. Well, and if I'm a medical patient and I need diabetes medicine, I'm not about to reach for my wallet, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. Well, <laughs> I, so this this story <laughs> the, came from Fox the the, News. Ph- the philosophy of it all is that it's quote air quotes free right free Co- correct well yeah. because it's a right oh yeah yeah naming something a right does not solve its you know 
actual supply and demand issues. Right. All that means is you're not woke enough, Bobby. <laughs> Definitely not woke enough. So California wants to basically purchase generic drugs and then resell them. And so they're buyers. The so <laughs> Only the opioids? But, here, but here's okay. the, the sneaky part of it is that um, the state actually wants to create a single market for drug pricing. And then the governor uh, said basically that you would have to bid to sell drugs in the state, and then that would create a uniform price point for drugs. So in the price state. fixing. We're like, okay, this is <laughs> yes. good. Keep going. Yes. And we want to be a market participant. <laughs> Perfect. Right. So we want we want to be we want to sell drugs. We're gonna we're gonna basically white label them. Right. So we're yeah. gonna buy them, generic drugs, from a manufacturer. The state's gonna turn around and they're gonna become our CVS. And at the same time, if you want to do business and sell your drugs in the state, you've got a bid, and your bid needs to match the the price of everybody else. <laughs> okay, so none you of, have to compete with the state. None of that matches the definition of a marketplace, like whatsoever. No, but we're just going to throw the word market in there too. Okay, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that sounds good. So <laughs> the, the way it goes, is a like, single market. Right. <laughs> The California version of um, Medi-Cal, well, Medi-Cal, is that um, since they purchase a lot of prescription drugs, uh, that they have pr- um, uh, price negotiation skills. So they, they, they have can, power. They have purchasing power. power. They have purchasing power. That's, that's what, it. And that's what Bernie always waves his hand at, right, uh-huh. on the debate stage, is we should be negotiating with Canada and all these places. Look, and- we, we do that now in the state. So the remedy is not there. Okay, okay, so generic drugs. Oh, Gavin Newsom doesn't like what you just said. Generic drugs all by themselves. Okay. Somebody's already creating generic drugs. They create they they exist. Yeah, the patent expired, so now it's generic time and they Exactly. Yeah. These generic drug makers are not exactly hauling it in, as it were. Right. You know, they're they're making a pretty reasonable profit. And the idea being that they are supplying CBS and all those other pharmacies all over the place with all the generic drugs that they need. Now, the interesting part is that they're making a, they're, they're trying to associate the Kirkland brand. Okay. The Costco version okay. where they're putting it under their label, but Costco actually sells their medication for cheaper as a loss leaner. Mm-hmm. Okay. They like the, like the chicken, like the chicken, yeah. chicken, okay. chicken and opioids. <laughs> so it's bringing them in. They, they want you to come into Costco. They want you to come into Costco, go to the pharmacy, get your drugs, and and usually it's just to beat out the competition, like a dollar cheaper sure. or something like that. But if you come into the store, maybe you'll buy something else. So really, California wants to actually sell it for less than they bought it for. That's oh, right, were. because you're saying if they're going to entice people to go to Costco to come to them, mm-hmm. they're going to have to lose even more. That's right. Basically. California will have to lose even more. Now, the major problem with the pharmaceutical game right now is specialty drugs. I don't know if you guys are up to speed with no. specialty drugs. But, but I would have to tell you, I'm liking this so far because when it comes to losing money, we're in California's wheelhouse now. So, <laughs> so we actually may be able to do this pretty good. So specialty drugs are really... It, it's a hard definition to swallow, so which is why um, there's such a backlash on the internet about specialty drugs. But usually, specialty drugs are brand new drugs that are designed for people with 
uh, very complex and very rare diseases. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they could be genetic anomalies or something like that. But the popul- the size of the population that actually needs the drug is not very big. That's right. So some of these drugs went from from R&D to actually getting it to sure. you is like a $100,000 price point per patient. The opposite of insulin, basically. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people use insulin. So. Exactly. So, and one of the arguments of, of specialty drugs is that it has if it's regularly stocked at a pharmacy, it's not a specialty drug. So you can go get an okay. antibiotic of whatever variety, and it's usually stocked in the pharmacy. You don't have to worry about it. Usually for a specialty drug, you have to really request it, go through all these, a little bit of paperwork to go right. get it. So that's where most of the dollars are spent. More than half of the money that people are spending on drugs uh. Are, are really for specialty drugs. And these specialty drugs are usually not available in Europe. Got it. Okay, because Europe won't pay for them because they're under a single market. And so is it fair to say that these specialty drugs are really skewing the debate when it comes to how much Americans are paying for prescription drugs? Absolutely. Because if you remove the... And I'm not, I'm not getting Absolutely. into a debate about whether... I mean, these people need these drugs or not. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But like if you removed a chunk of the specialty drugs... You're left with the the insulins, the you know, fill in the blank. Some of the opioids, depending on someone being. I've got out of surgery. I've got a statistical nugget here cool. for you. For in 2015, throw it down. Give us some knowledge. In 2015, Medicare spent 32.8 billion dollars on specialty drugs. Out of do you know? Yeah. What, what they here we go. Yeah, right out of you know, the, the federal, the federal. But 32.8 billion just on specialty. Just on specialty drugs. Do you know? Have do you have any clue of like the total that got spent? $32.8 billion. No, of all, no of, drugs of, of, overall. Of all drugs. If that's oh. the specialty drugs part. No, I don't have that on no, the okay, I was just curious. Right yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, but That's a lot of money. But the, the problem is, is that most specialty drugs and, are, and insurers usually pay you know, co-insurance of 25%, 30%, yeah, whatever, sure. whatever deal you got. Sure. Uh, so when it comes to, if it's a $100,000 drug, well, let's just say that. Well, you're on the hook for 70 of that. I got a number for you. This okay. is from 2016, though. Okay. $129 billion So a quarter. Is the amount Medicare spent on prescription drugs. There you go. So a quarter of that on specialty, which I'm guessing by, them, by being called specialty, wasn't even close to a quarter of the Medicare population, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, there's definitely a... It, the numbers are skewed. So we're, we're going for this whole universal healthcare push which is what all the Democrat candidates want in one form or another. The idea being that you get it for free. You walk in, you say, fix me, and you will be fixed. Someone will wave the magic wand and you got it. Right. It, it doesn't work that way. No. It does well, not. Well, I mean, now that you've explained what you just explained, mm-hmm. it's worth, no one will ever do this to them in the debates, but it's worth parsing the word universal. They're using universal to mean everyone will be able to walk into this door. Mm. Is it also universal in you'll be able to get the full spectrum of any drug you need? We're going to assume that the medical profession is and, and the pharmaceuticals are still going to want to produce and or do R&D on all this stuff under a universal healthcare world, which you know, is doubtful. You know what? Bernie Sanders tends to be a little honest about this and that he acknowledges that, no, you're not going to. There you go. You're not going to. Which I appreciate. The guy, I do appreciate the man for one thing, mm-hmm. and that he's willing to be more blunt 
than the other candidates. I mean, yeah. his stuff's a disaster, but he's willing to be like that. He's willing to be honest. Which, it rocks my world when, it, when people go, oh, well, I'm not going to get it, but I'll sign <laughs> off for it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you go, I, I don't know what you're thinking, but, you know, universal health care, when we talk about it at the federal level for the world level, really, when we when we compare apples to oranges between our system and one of the Nordic, yeah. you know, places, the, they're usually paying between 15 to 30% higher taxes than Americans are. Right. So that's generally just in the healthcare. Okay. Sure. We have pretty much all the other so, uh, social issues that they have. And, sure. But sure. mainly it's healthcare. There's, I mean, flat out. So, the argument is, can you, as a citizen right now, afford 15% to 20%, 30% taking out of your paycheck now? Because that's the argument that's being made. How are we going to pay for this universal health care that the Democrats are pushing for? And the idea is that, duh, we'd raise taxes. How much? A lot. Like I said, it, it's going to have a hefty price tag. And that's every single month. Can you continue paying your rent, your food, all the other stuff that you've been paying, 15 to 20%, 30% taken straight out just so that other people can have free health care? Well, that's part of the compounding issue here, right? Like your property tax goes up, your uh, withholding for these programs Mm -hmm. go up, right? More and more of your paycheck is either being withheld or you're paying more out in taxes, it's not just one thing, right? It's not property taxes going up, but everything else is low. No, nope. it's sales tax goes up. Like if you're in LA County, you're spending you know north of nine and a half, nine point seven at some points. Uh, your property tax goes up. I mean, when you think you've got almost a ten percent sales tax rate in parts of this state, you've got five dollar a gallon gasoline because of taxes. You've got. You know, we talked about the gas tax. You talk about property tax. I mean, it's it's the compounding of all these things that just, after a while, whittle away all your paycheck. Yeah, said a different way, 10% of someone's pay means very different things to someone working in Idaho versus Los Angeles. Oh, absolutely. Right? Because the person in Idaho turns around and when they go to pay their mortgage, their gas, that's much less of a... So, so they have the 10% in a, gen, in a relative mm-hmm. sense. They've got the ten percent to give in their paycheck if their healthcare benefit if their healthcare premiums go away because of right. it. The person in LA probably doesn't. <laughs> they don't. Well, and you, yeah, and then you get to the point you you might not even be a homeowner for the most part, right? So now you're renting, but right. all that goes up too because they're well, you're. The owner's paying more on the property. Your exactly. rent is going up. We just you, talked about the spiral. We just talked about the Prop Thirteen ballot measure, right? And then you're really never going to buy a home because. Yeah, right. You can't the amount save. you're putting in a rent doesn't let you save anything. Exactly. Where are you going to get the down from? from? Right. And then we go with torches and pitchforks to all the bourgeoisie who own we all joke. these homes. We <laughs> joke, but again, I'm not I'm inciting or saying anything here. But, but the tra- It needs to be given back to the people. The trajectory, I don't know timelines here, but the trajectory, it's, it's, it's looking more like that than mm. it is fiscal conservatism. Well, and it's not like uh, 
the state is asymptomatic to all this, right? You look, and we talked about the beginning of the episode. We we seriously have a homeless issue. Like it's right. become a joke because it's it's become so widespread and ridiculous. But we do. You're seeing that this is actually leading to a problem, right? It's not like mm-hmm. doom and gloom. One day, one day, one day, we are seeing it happen. <laughs> that actually is perfect because that's the. If we're ready, I mean that's the next segment. That's the all right. The old topic I got. Swoosh. Okay, I'm calling this segment homelessness task forces and tours. Homelessness. We're getting serious now, guys. Is it a problem, guys? We're getting serious. We're getting because we're putting together task forces and we're going on tour. Fantastic. Gavin is doing a tour. You know what? We're getting it done in this state. Oh no, we are. We're getting it done. Thank you. I'm glad you. I'm glad the claps are there because it's. it's <laughs> we're just throwing it all in now, all for homelessness. Oh, I got a little thing for the train later on. Oh so, boy, yeah, yes, yes. Okay, so I got some good info from uh, three or four articles. The first one from the L.A. Times on Jan 13, 2020. Voters could decide if California cities will be punished for not reducing homelessness. This, this, this I, is I just great. I know. It's so let me get this straight. <laughs> yeah. This is the state causes a problem. This is unbelievable. And then they stick it to the cities <laughs> to figure it out. You got it. <laughs> All right. So here's the deets. So this there's a task force that should that should give you a warm fuzzy to begin with. And it will not be abused at all. <laughs> task force, working group. Yeah, right. uh, there's always these terms of but doesn't Gavin seem like the kind of guy who would, who just loves putting task forces together? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're going to put a team together to research totally. the problem and come back with the findings. Because this, this solution is worth finding. And it comes with its own budget, of course, um, it and its to. own trips it and to. its own dinners. And So the task force appointed by Newsom, it's recommending that local governments face tough new legal sanctions for failing to make progress. The Council of Regional Homeless Advisors is calling for an amendment. Wait, wait. Yeah. Let's let's review this. Here it is. (laughs) Another council. Everyone's probably going to be hearing a lot about this council. So here we go. It is the Council of Regional Homeless Advisors. Okay. Now, I don't know whether the advisors themselves are homeless or they're just advising on homelessness. <laughs> they should have an, like, you know, they should. an ambassador. They should have a couple, <laughs> couple members of the community to see what they say. You know, before you jump into that, I, I just want to – do you guys remember the story? I think we covered it last time where, where they had the, uh, the director from Los Angeles City of the homeless situation. He stepped down. Oh, yes. That was, he, he was – he was, uh, was he there for a short period of time? He was there or? for five years. Okay. So okay. he's he's directly in the mix. Yeah. But he was making like $150,000 yeah. himself. And yeah. Like, for sure. Why? Yeah. Why? What did you do? Okay. Task force. So the Council of Regional Homeless Advisors is calling for an amendment to the California Constitution. So we're, yeah, we're talking. Uh, you know. Uh, big time, guys. I haven't read the California Constitution in quite a few years. <laughs> Uh, and I, I should really reopen that up because we've added quite a few bits to it, but it reads like a stereo in- installation really? manual. Yeah, Jeez. really bad. So they want this amendment to the California Constitution that would create a legally enforceable mandate to reduce the homeless population. You know, because when you can't figure out, it's like the gun thing we talked about. Remember how... The, law, the legislatures wanted to stamp the unique thing on every bullet, and they're like, this physically can't happen. Right. We don't care. Do it. Right. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that solves it. That, that still blows my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whenever this comes up, I, I, 
the fact that they wanted a serial number to get stamped on a bullet at the time the hammer hit the bullet or the pin, and then Smith and Wesson and all these people said that's impossible, and they said we're going to still make it a law, figure it out. Like, <laughs> that's exactly in what world do these people live in, man? But that's exactly what this is. So if approved, if, if approved by voters, the mandate would allow the state to sue cities and counties or even itself. If the number of people living outdoors in encampments and vehicles doesn't decline. I like that, how they can sue themselves. I know. Right? Yeah. But how can you force somebody to comply? Because we've said it's not illegal to take a dump on the sidewalk, <laughs> right. right? We said, we straight up said that. And we said it's not illegal to live on the street. The Supreme Court weighed in on that so, one. So, yeah. so then how can it be a crime for the city to not do anything? So what if I just want to be a citizen of the world? So... I'm a sovereign citizen, and I just want to live on the street. And you just have a particular corner on which you exactly. like to defecate. All right, so I mean, right. You know? the, yeah. the idea being that the state could now withhold whatever funding from whatever city or municipality is not complying with their mandate. Oh, which like but, to the state. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which should most definitely help solve the problem if they've got less money. Not that more money helps, but less money certainly should help, right? Yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> so these articles, the articles I've got are, they've got some good stats in them, but they're also just so great for the quotes by some of the, the mayors and the people in the task force. But first, some stats. Here we go. So the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development said homelessness increased in California by more than 16% from 2018 to 2019. I mean, but we, we're number one. <laughs> oh, no, we'll get there. But that goes to the point that we were talking about earlier in the episode, right? I don't know about you guys, but you can, you can just feel this on an escalating basis, right? Year after year after year. And 16% over this last year. That leaves more than 151,000 Californians without permanent housing. About 108,000 of those, nearly 71%, are living outdoors in encampments or in vehicles. It's the highest percentage of any state in the nation. California has nearly half of America's homeless population now. When, when we threw that statistic out last year, I was dumbfounded to think that we're at half. Yeah. Half? Yeah. How? Well, what the I hell mean, happened? The first thing that comes to mind, right, is weather. You know, okay, so... If you're talking about people living in what? tent cities and outside and okay, okay, weather is a big factor. Let me let me argue that point of weather. Lay it down because Texas is a pretty big damn state. Huge, humid too. Humid too hot. can be hot. It can be hot, which is their their homeless situation is is ridiculously smaller than ours, and they're a very populous state too. Okay, they have they have less than twenty five thousand people. In the homeless situation, and I would argue that statistic is mm. now drastically lower mm. because they're probably all here as well. Mm. So it's not a part of do. Are you because because look at you? You're making the argument of weather, but there's a lot of homeless people in New York, mm-hmm. a lot. So you're making the argument of incentives. Mm. Whoa. I Are we starting to get these, to the... <laughs> I didn't say it. It didn't come from me, but... We're starting to get to the heart of the matter. Continue, please. I, I, hold on. I did some math. I wanted, Rain Man music. I wanted, <laughs> cue it here. Yeah. So, 
And 18 to 19 went up 16%, right? Yeah. Up to 151,000. We'll yeah. So I just did like the next four years at 16% I like it. and Whole. then compounded. No, right? I like it. Yeah. <clears throat> oh. In four years, we're at like almost 273,000. That's assuming 16% a year compounding, Dang. right? So that's, we, we more than double, or uh, we, we go up more than 100,000 ish in that four-year span right Man, that's crazy that is nuts so and and that's a, that's the assumption is at a 16 percent rate which it could very well i I'd, I'd be curious to see the trend line on that percentage over the last like four years that right? would be was, interesting, was it like right? eight nine is it 12, leveling 16? off or is it ramping up right you know you could yeah. make because you make even a one point tweak on that and it goes up even more you know you can just feel the increase. You can just see it. I mean, the, there's so many. <sighs> I'm frustrated by this, and I shouldn't be, but it's California's debacle. Mm-hmm. And many other states, it, it's almost as if homelessness in middle America doesn't exist in a crisis level that it is California. It's only California that really has this problem. Well, I think so. Here's having spent a lot of time kind of in middle California, and John is too. Mm-hmm. Like, you can get a $40,000 shack. You can. Right. And so I think your degree of not having a roof over your head, you're still poor. Right. We talk about um, basically there's a giant chunk of white poor people. Yep, I know we that's right. we try to think it's just all minorities and stuff like that. It's so the true. The middle of the country has, especially the Appalachian kind of area, a giant percentage of basically. Uh, there's a great book about it. The oh yeah, the, the people we left behind. Um, Amity Shales. Left behind. She, yeah. But basically, it's about the giant chunk of the country that's actually poor, generationally poor white middle class America. But you can still have some hand me down shack for a couple 10 grand, right? Here, if you don't have a couple hundred thousand, you're living outside unless you have a car mm-hmm. or a, you know, a rundown motor home or something like that. So I think part of this is you've just got a giant chunk of people living on the street because they can't afford shelter. I don't know if it means there's less poor in the rest of the country. And I bre- or we're not even saying poor, we're saying homeless, right? And yeah. I think that's kind of the caveat is you can get a really cheap home in other parts of the country. It's funny as you're saying that I'm thinking to myself, well, this is becoming a state where those are two, those two are becoming synonymous. If you're poor, you're likely homeless. Right. <laughs> because rent and, or especially owning a home is becoming ridiculously out of reach or ridiculously quickly. Right. Right. Absolutely. For a lot of people. Do you, do you guys know who Dr. Robert Marbutt Jr. is? No, not off the top of my head. All right. Should I? For those of you playing at home, he is actually the head of the U.S. Integrancy Council on Homelessness. Okay. Basically, he Another council on homelessness? You can't have too many. He is actually the homeless czar for Trump. Hmm. Aha. So I have piqued your interest. So he is controversial in and of himself. Well, if he's with Trump, he's got to be. Because he's been very critical on many aspects of the federal government's approach to homelessness. Okay. 
And he is a doctor and he wants to address these issues of what are the causes, the root causes of homelessness and why is it that the governments in any state and the federal government in general is failing to meet these mm. the necessities mm -hmm. to get rid of homelessness mm -hmm. okay so he has a very um what 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 would you say like a tough love approach yeah, okay. towards it okay he wants to solve homelessness but he wants to do it in a different way he, he's not going to drop bags of money next to their tents that's right basically. he wants to you know drugs uh abuse mm -hmm. all these underlying symptoms of why people become homeless and it's not and he he gets away from the incentive base in in all homelessness and especially here in california and trump has brought him he actually had an undercover approach here in the state he did it a couple of weeks ago where he was in here and he has recommendations but he's not a very public persona so you probably haven't heard him mm -hmm. talk about any of these issues mm -hmm. But he definitely wants to come in, whereas we're taking the exact direct opposite approach where we want to put more money into it. We're talking about another billion dollars to fight homelessness. It's not going to make a dent. If anything, we're <laughs> doing exactly the thing that he's advocating against, which is we're incentivizing these people to be homeless. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sad, but true. We need a, completely, a complete 180 on what we're doing here in California. I don't know if this guy's the right answer, but it seems like he has. Well, different to start with is probably good, right? Because well, I would say like, okay, I think it'd be this way if you, if you went to a company, you're brand new and some management level, right? Some C-suite officer, maybe an ops officer or something. You come in and the business had this slide, right? Yeah. And you were brought in to correct it. Wouldn't one of your first tasks, at least for me, it would be to go back through the history and find where the when and where the slide started, and then maybe look for some points on what happened in this critical five years that caused this thing to just dump, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> no pun intended for all those <laughs> people there. But <laughs> you, there's this, nobody knows what needs to be done, or they act like they don't know what needs to be done, and... I think if we went back in time and we said, okay, we look at all the data, when did we start seeing this giant trend line of more homeless on the street and what happened right around there? If they're thinking it through, which I'm not sure, I'm not sure ever how much credit to give to politicians in this regard, but if they're thinking it through, do they really want to know that answer? Oh, no, they don't. Right? Because right. so... Meaning they're never going to, I agree with what you're saying, but they're never really going to explore that because why won't the answer point back to them in a lot of regards? Well, and I feel like this happened fairly quickly. I don't, I don't know if it's an illusion to me, right? But I don't feel like this has been building for 20 years. No. I feel like this has just become a thing in the last six, seven years. Like maybe oh eight, oh nine. You were talking about Great Recession earlier. I, I wouldn't say that there was a huge homelessness epidemic in that time period. No, not even though a lot of people lost their, their jobs and their livelihoods. Uh, they just went and moved in with mom and dad or, or or whatever they had to do to make sure that they weren't homeless. So what what ha exactly Louis, what has changed? 
Right. And I, I would argue it's probably in the last four years more so than anything else. And it's really bad now. I mean, we've been talking about it in a lot last year, a lot last year, because it, it's really evident everywhere. Well, and, and you wonder, is is it the result of advertising, right? Like, do I go to California because I know there's a lot more people like me, homeless? Mm. I know that California doesn't prosecute anybody. Mm. I know that petty crimes aren't even, you're not even cited half the time for them. And I know that if something's going to be done, it's going to come in the form of some kind of money or aid, and I want to be there when it happens. Right. And so does it just become, do we become a giant magnet because of the advertising that's gone on? Mm-hmm. Right. I know that I can come here and do my drugs. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to get arrested. Uh, I could basically do what I want to do because they protect you as a homeless person in California. I, I was hearing the other day, like uh, Home Depot's had this problem um, kind of in the area I work where they have a large homeless encampment problem adjacent to Home Depot. Okay. Because of how the laws have changed on what is considered grand theft, petty theft, and, and everything in between, they just straight up come in and roll out with generators. Right? Because what? it meets the threshold of not being a felony. And they know that most of these store policies are not to chase people down and tackle them, right? It's usually the store policies don't get involved, call the cops. So they walk in and they just go out with entire toolboxes full of tools. Uh, they know they know the limit and the, thre- the threshold, and they know nothing will be done to them. So why not just go uh, pick up a you know six hundred dollar generator and just roll the thing out? Wow. No one's going to touch them, and by the time yeah. any law enforcement gets there, they're long gone back into the river they- bottom, and nobody's going to pursue it. Uh, there's been a crime spree of sorts from the same thing where. Uh, teenagers, mm, those darn teenagers, they know that law. And so they all blitz like a clothing outlet and they go, okay, we know which items here are under $600. So they go and they grab, you know, shoes or they go grab clothes and they just run out the door and no one will chase them. And Right. They've, they've seen a major, major uptick in shoplifting at grocery stores because now you bring your own bags in, right? Before you always got a supermarket bag. You didn't bring in your bags. But now people don't want to pay for bags, so they put it wherever they can, their backpack, their purses, there's, and there's nothing to stop them because they need something to carry it in. And now there's just – this is the news the other day. These stores are losing hundreds of thousands of dollars like Vaughn's and Ralph's and Albertson's to people that just come in and throw stuff in their backpack and walk out. Jeez. Right? Because who's the wiser? You wouldn't turn – you wouldn't – it wouldn't catch your eye anymore to see somebody putting stuff in their purse or a handbag because you don't, you know, you don't expect them to buy bags. Like it's <laughs> unbelievable. So the, the Sacramento mayor, Daryl Steinberg, he's the co-chair of the 13 member task force that was appointed back in February. Right. Here's a couple of quotes from this gentleman. Quote, we've tried moral persuasion. We've tried economic incentives, but all of it's optional. Why should this be optional? It shouldn't be. It mustn't be. Thousands of people are dying on the streets and people are telling us this is a priority. He also goes on to say, we are calling for a legally enforceable mandate requiring governments to bring people home. 
get that, requiring governments to bring people home. No more of this being an option. It's past time to do what is fair, compassionate, and necessary to save lives. And so Newsom, he unveiled his plan for addressing all of this, and it included more than $1.4 billion to address the lack of shelters as well as health care for homeless. More than half that money is expected to go to directly to local services. So, man, from the segments we've talked about thus far, we are just writing some big checks, right? Yeah. I, I always make the argument. I go, okay, we, we have a problem with illegal immigration here, right? It's evident. Totally. Everywhere. No. One of the... Uh, no, I disagree. Well, they're here, right? They're here. Who are you calling they? They. Ooh. Mm. It's 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 are there. How do you affiliate? Which way? X. X. Louis X. Anyway, you don't really see a whole lot of undocumented people that are homeless. Very true. So true. Because they have a network. So true. They have family members who they pile into a house. Where are these homeless people's families? So true. What what happened to them that allows them to be homeless? Where is their network? That's a symptom. That's a symptom that's not being addressed. That is a root cause. That's something that's not addressed by Gavin Newsom and all the other politicians. Okay? You're, we're talking about somebody who comes with nothing from very poor parts of the world. And they manage to not be homeless. Get a job. <laughs> be, albeit they're not paying taxes and they're getting a lot of freebies. But you know what? The homeless are getting a lot of freebies too. But they're still homeless. So what is it that we're doing here in the state? We're doing it wrong. Well, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, she's excited about this though. Of she, course she is. Why no, the hell wouldn't you be she's excited the, about Bobby, the homeless? She's part of the task force, so pay attention. Wait, which one? Oh, no, the, uh, right, the, the, Council, the Council of Regional Homeless Advisors. Okay. Again, not sure if Libby Schaff herself is homeless, but she's advising on the Council <laughs> I'm sure she's of in Homeless touch. Advisors. That's right. So she's a task force member. She says, what excites me most about these recommendations is the free money. Is this legally enforced? <laughs> <laughs> what excites me most about these recommendations is this legally enforceable mandate to end homelessness. I believe there will be support in this state for this. She goes on to say, quote, housing is health. When I read that, I'm like, this is, this is the new, this will be the new <laughs> thing. The slogan. That, that is the slogan. Housing is health. Everything's health, right, these days. You can cram anything you want. It's like the intercommerce clause, right, right. in the Supreme Court. Right. Anything you want to get done, boop, shove it through there, put it under there. So now, what do you need done? Well, it's health. So housing is health. And to recognize that health dollars should be appropriately be used to support housing is a very important part of our recommendations. I like that they, we think we can just legislate homelessness away. Out. No, I, I was thinking about the same thing. It's like, I'm going to legislate that everyone makes 60 grand a year minimum. Right. Which is essentially what we're trying to do with the minimum wage of 15, which calcs out to whatever. But it's the same concept of, well, why not 30, 40? Just legislate in wealth. I, okay. I was thinking about this too. If I'm city A and I face fines 
right. or lawsuits sure. for not eradicating homelessness in my area. Okay. What is to stop me from just kicking homeless to the next city over? Or right? just or just lying. It's like a big game of musical chairs. Yeah, I mean, in the 90s is what Santa Monica did. Right. Santa Monica, the promenade, had, had you didn't want to go down there. It was full of homeless and crime and everything else. Then they just bust everybody down to Venice, right? I mean, they pushed everybody <laughs> down to Venice into the city of Los Angeles. And, and then the, it was beautiful. The promenade was beautiful, right? And so, and, and not every city is created equal, right? Like, um, I'm sure places of the Inland Empire don't have a lot of homeless on the street. Maybe they do. Some of these places aren't as desirable versus the coastal cities. Oh, man. That are full of homeless For because sure. they have a beach. Oh, right? totally. So there's, uh, it's no secret in California, the coastal cities tend to have a lot more homeless. And if you're going to be homeless, you might as well be homeless at the beach. But what? Not all cities are created equal in that regard. And what's to stop you from just moving or busing your homeless? We have that problem in our own county. A lot of homeless get shipped to the North County, right? And there's just this shell game of move the homeless people around. Because I don't want to be fined now. America's favorite pastime. <laughs> there's another point in one of these articles in a Reuters article, January 13, 2020. California governor's homelessness tour seeks money solutions to crisis on streets. It says Gavin Newsom last week asked state lawmakers to create the $750 million fund as part of his 2021 budget. And again, um, this, this, where, where do I have it? This 750 million will be to cover rent and build housing for the homeless. Whereas that 1.4 billion was going to be an expansion of Medi-Cal. To cover support services. But with all these task force, oh, no, no, how, yeah. how, how will there be any money for these uh, shelters? <laughs> $2 will actually go towards Medi-Cal expansion. So nonetheless, he's, ex- he's seeking the $750 million as part of his 2021 budget. And here's the kicker. He plans to petition the federal government for additional money to help California's Medicaid program improve services for the homeless. What do you think the chances are that the Trump administration approves that? <laughs> so we want to expand it for... Illegal immigrants. Correct. And we want to expand it for homeless. Correct. And we want to be our own um, prescription drug issuing entity. Correct. And we also want to set up a banking structure for dispensaries and Correct. cannabis. Please give us money. And we go, we want to keep getting rid of guns. Please give us money. I The amount of rely on government <laughs> is <laughs> crazy. Like, like first... Entrust your money to us with our banking system. Okay, right? And then... Um, Save your money with us with our own money market uh, system. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we're going to do, too, is we're going to control all the medications. We're going to control your livelihood and drugs because, A, we're going to be a provider of them. But, B, we're going to also make it really hard for other people to bid because they have to be competitive with us. So we're going to price fix that market. And um, then we're going to take all your guns away so that there's no way to defend you. And, and, and we have a bunch of public school requirements, right? Because we want to educate your kids. I would say we're probably, there should be like a little clock. And depend on us for your health care. Yeah, maybe not a clock, maybe whatever it would be, like a little thermometer. How close we are to utopia. We're probably like 77% of the way there, 78%. We've made some big strides We're in the last. There. Yeah, we've made big strides just, in the last two, three just years. Remember, guys. Louis. 
Shut up and pay your taxes. Yeah. We are almost at utopia. And we're going to make it impossible for you to own a home when we <laughs> jack up your property taxes <laughs> and put more homeless in your town. And then we're going to fine your town and then your town's going to go bankrupt. You can almost hear It's a Small World After All, like playing in the background, you know. Well, Disneyland won't be there anymore. They're about to move. The amount, sure, yeah, they're, gets redone. They're gone. The amount of just uh, the way all this stuff is connected exactly. is crazy. There's Ex- tentacles in all these different exactly. elements. That's one thing I'd have to say. I mean, you know, growing up, and, and we've talked about it uh, offline, about um, the environment we grew up in, and it, we were lifelong residents of the state. But ever since, you know, as we do this podcast and do more research and, on stories, et cetera, you really, it puts you in a, situ- in a situation, in a seat, and again, even, even just the stories that we look at, to start to see even the first layer of behind the curtain about where all of, like you just said, all of these, they're different, and I get why they just the passerby, the reader of the top headlines, maybe not seeing it, but you can just see in and behind the scenes where the connectivity and the general themes and messages are pushing. Oh, yeah. Right. It becomes very evident. It's all about trust us. We're your government. <laughs> I come from the government and I'm here to help. Next one. Okay. It's a topic we definitely talked about in 20, 2019, and now it got implemented, and we got a problem. What is that? I call Wait, it- Wait, government it, created a problem? <laughs> Here we go. Okay. I call this segment AB5, whoops. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Oops. So if you guys recall, AB5 was the bill that, let's, let's be honest- the main intent of the bill was to target Uber and Lyft and the fact that they were paying their drivers as independent contractors. You mean government's heavy hand against an industry? Correct. Hmm. The government did not like this fact, and they said so under the auspices of, well, they're being denied fair minimum wage and health care and proper rights right. that an employee would get. So... We're going to restructure the definition of what it means to be an independent contractor or, or only those times and areas where you can be an independent contractor. And in all other cases, you must be an employee or run, your, run a full business, um, as a, even as a sole proprietor or whatever. But you must be running a business or be an employee. You can no longer be an independent contractor. So the author of this bill, this Assembly Bill 5, uh, Lorena Gonzalez. She's a Democrat, California Assemblywoman. So she's been getting a lot of heat lately. Now, she would also tell, she would tell you... Only lately. Yeah. Mm. She would tell you that she hears all the time from people, you know, they're just so happy with this. All the time. I've got my first oh. actual job. Unverifiable. I know. <laughs> and what's great about this segment, we got... so. She actually, I'm surprised she did this. Most politicians won't do this at all. She went on with the KUSI news crew. I think they're down in San Diego. And she did like a 20 minute interview. And so they, and these people were not happy, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know why they're not happy is because they're all, their industry, their whole entire industry, they're contracted. So before we get to the clips, let me just give you, there was an interesting article. 
uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle, Jan 13th, 2020, how AB5 affects gig rivals. One gets more business, one exits California. So the article focused on two companies, Blue Crew and Winolo. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, They both run on-demand marketplaces for blue-collar gigs, right? So these are where people use the app and say, hey, I need this Mm -hmm. replaced or I need some help moving this or that. Yeah. And they can connect up with people who are willing to do that job. Yeah, they're a lot like Uber in the sense that they're just regular folks. The doing gig a side economy, hustle. Mm-hmm. right? Side Part hustle. of the gig economy. A one-off job. People want to do it. They like the pay. Great. Well, Blue Crew had always hired its workers as employees. Now, as California makes it harder for companies to claim the workers are independent contractors, it's seen a surge of interest. Wanolo has primarily hired its workers as independent contractors. AB5 prompted it to drastically shrink its California operations, essentially ending gig jobs here after the first quarter. The CEO of Winolo, he ticked off a list of reasons that employment would make sense for his workers. Many work at the companies in a month. Many lack even a resume and work at Winolo helps them to gain experience. Many already work at places like Walmart and Sears and use Winolo to supplement their incomes. And he said what blue collar gig workers want is, quote, flexibility and autonomy of their schedule, working when and for whom they want. And I, and I use that article, and I think it goes nicely into these clips and this heavy portions of this interview we're going to listen to. And then I want to get us, to, after each clip, we'll kind of comment on what Lorena uh, Gonzalez has said. But this article, I think, kind of sets up the two juxtaposing views, right? You've got the people in the groups that say, nope, and empl- employees is the right way to do it, um, the benefits, and if you want to keep and retain people, you know, employees. You've got the other group that says, hey, look, it's a marketplace out there. Independent contractors, it's back to the minimum wage argument, and it's back exactly to this right here. No one is holding a gun to someone's head to go drive for Uber if, or be an independent contractor with Wonolo. If you want to go carry boxes and get paid sixteen an hour, you touch the little app and you do it, right? <laughs> yeah. The, the 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 funny part about AB five, the funny part, yeah, is that it, it exempts specific occupations. It does. Okay. Uh, licensed insurance agencies, uh, healthcare professionals, security brokers, yeah. you know, even barbers, even fishermen. And the reason why it does that is because all these individuals are licensed through the state. It is the state trying to prove that its license system actually matters. And that's the point of Uber and Lyft, is that they proved that it doesn't. The medallions weren't needed. The taxi medallions, those went away. That's right. That's an interesting take. You like that, I didn't think about that. It's hard to argue. You know who it really affects? And Mm -hmm. uh, I had sent this article to you guys a couple months ago. Musicians. Oh, mm-hmm. this was a good article. Th- this is really sad. This is a really unintended, I, th- I think an unintended consequence Absolutely. of just idiot legislatures who are so tunnel visioned out on gig drivers. They forget about probably one of the biggest gig industries. That's musicians. The, I the, mean, wor- the word, the word you use were a gig. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the the way it's written now, I was talking to my dad about this too, because he is a musician and he plays almost every weekend and he's been doing that since he's a kid. And uh, the way the law is written now is if you want to hire a bass player for a hundred bucks to play at your gig, he now has to be an employee on payroll. 
So you got to put the basis on payroll. You got to pay unemployment taxes. You got to provide benefits, follow labor laws, get workers comp, deduct taxes, work with a payroll company. And then you got to W2 the basis because they're now legally your employee for one effing gig. Like that is crazy. It's a if joke. You, if you want to hire a violinist to play a song on your record, it's a joke. For 150 so, bucks, they are your employee. If I want to get Assemblywoman Garcia to come on over in a clown suit, and make balloon animals for the kids at a party. Employee. I have, she has to be an employee of mine? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because I'm willing to make that happen. It, if you, <laughs> it, and if you take it a step further, if you want to go play a 45-minute set at the Whiskey in Hollywood or something like that for 800 bucks, they've got to put you on payroll for one gig. It's a joke. It, it's got this gigantic ripple effect that once you have to start putting FICA into it, it increases the cost by at least 30%, you know? So I, the, the music world is all about gigs. Hey, let's play this gig. It pays a hundred bucks tonight, blah, blah, blah. Cool. Here's your hundred bucks. Go about your way. The, and that's how they prefer it. Like that is just the way the industry works. It's not a, uh, now, now you got to process like a thousand W twos at the end of the year. Like that. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, what I was saying it earlier, you know, California wanted to prove that its license system made sense, but it's really because Garcia is a huge union. Gonzo- uh, uh, Gon- Lorena Gonzalez. Gonzalez, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Gonzalez. Yeah, no, okay. uh, Gonzalez is a huge labor, uh, oh, labor Democrat. Totally. And she'll say that in there. Yeah. yeah. She, this was done for unions. That's what it was for. Well, not not to mention, right? And these, this is a, this is a point that, that fits in nicely with the two you just made. It's all back to power and control. As a 1099 contractor, they don't get to control any part of that transaction. As a 1099 contractor, you as the hirer set a bid and the per and the contractor who took that bid agreed to it. Done. You just pay them. There was no tax at the time of payment. They're supposed to report it. You report that you gave them that money. Done. Nowhere in there did governments, minimums, maximums, this, that, this offering, that come into play at all. And they hate that. They hate that. And and as uh, musicians are concerned, I mean, record labels will start to just take their business to New York, Atlanta, Nashville, other places. And touring bands might not even come play the state anymore because venues venues might not allow checks cut to, to people. Right, it might have to be cut to an entity. You might not be able to accept payment under your own name. Right? Oh, oh, right. You have to run your own business, right? Which forces you to either become some kind of entity that you know in California, eight hundred bucks to be an LLC. Just, oh, she addresses that though. <laughs> so it really, I feel sorry for. I feel really sorry for this industry. Um, I I love music. I I've been playing my whole life, and I think that's like. Sad. That's it's, how you scrape to get by. You sad. play gigs and you make a couple hundred bucks here and there. And it's that's sad. how you make it, you know. And now you force people out because they have to fall into this employee structure. And it's not their their occupation is not designed for that. And the other one that really threw the match onto the um onto the gasoline in this one was the Vox deal. Yeah. Right. That's what started getting all the news. So they laid off 200 California freelancers at the beginning of the year. Oh, darn. And they're going to replace the contractors with 20 part-time and full-time positions. Now, 
I wasn't specifically a math major, but 200 freelancers, that's a bigger number of people than 20, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of like minimum it's wage. A zero. Yeah, kind of like minimum wage when the people who are still working get paid more, but we're not going to talk about the fact that there's probably less people working. Right. Exactly. Okay. You're just not with it, John. Okay. Okay, let's uh, set up, set let's get into clip. the, the yeah. clips. So here she is. So so it's two reporters. They're in studio, and they're talking with Lorena Gonzalez. And I'm going to kind of go there. I got nine clips. We're going to go in order, essentially, through the interview. And um, we'll listen to them and stop it after each one. Or pa- let me know if you want me to pause it. We okay. can comment during. Here we go. Joining us now is a legislature who authored that bill, State Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez. We want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. I want to start with this. Um, I I appreciate that you're taking people, saying there's thousands of people. There is no indication that there are thousands of people out of work. So I I understand that's what you've been told by some folks, but there's absolutely no data or indication to suggest that thousands of people have been put out of work. Absolutely none. None whatsoever. I should have said up front, She's a little irritated during this interview. You can right off the bat, she's irritated. She is very irritated, and you're going to hear that throughout because she knows that these women have been interviewing independent contractors in the previous days who are upset, and so she's coming on studio with a with a axe to grind, and yeah, so she's upset. Hmm. Go go figure. Okay, so here we go. Clip two: What AB five allows. AB5 allows for legitimate small business, even sole proprietors, to operate as such. Um, they're, they're able to do so if they're actually operating as a small business. What it doesn't allow is a company to have permalancers, to have people who are freelancing for them. Um, Why not? Absolutely exactly. uh, working the same way as an employee would work, but without the benefits of an employee status. And, ab- and what do you care what do you care? Go work somewhere else if you don't <laughs> like your employer. <laughs> Correct. I, I, all these I, I people got, that complain about Uber, nobody asked you to be a rideshare driver. I got so mad as I listened to this. I, I listened to this whole thing a couple times, and I got, was getting so mad at her as I'm listening to this because she tells these ladies, "You don't don't throw out claims. I don't want to hear numbers because you don't have ways to substantiate." And then throughout this whole thing, she's just going to tell people, well, that's not true. That's not right. true. Based on Jack. Right. The, I, I follow um, <clears throat> one of the subs I follow on Reddit yeah. is Uber drivers. And there's definitely a disproportionate amount of people on there in the way of most of the things you read are people that were supportive of the old system. It was a gig to them. They liked making their own schedule. They didn't want to be an employee. They didn't want everything that made them susceptible to being an employee. Like that guy, like the CEO from Winolo. A lot of his workers worked at Walmart and other companies. And they did this Winolo thing when they had some time after work and wanted some extra dough. Exactly. Okay. No big deal. Well, apparently, that's not not how you're supposed to do it, according to Lorena Gonzalez. They know better. Here's clip three. We, we've heard what you have said about AB5. We've heard everything before the well, legislation. Well, you really haven't. I mean, you've had like well, 12 people on without And we want to give you an opportunity to respond here, so. to your words yes. as well. And we're not here to vilify you right. at all. We I just do want you, you to start hold on, let me, information. There hold are on. thousands Our of people Our format here is we're going to let each other okay. talk it out. Absolutely. I just want to make sure we're operating with, if you have a fact, if okay. you can show but something not, where you got that number from. You're not letting me. You've got to let us talk. So she... Oh, yeah. It's on. She's ticked because you got to believe 
think about it. We just mentioned Vox. You're mentioning musicians. We're not exactly talking about demographics and and occupations that are filled with the most conservative people on the planet. No. So now you're talking about libs themselves being affected by the lib legislatures that they probably thought were holier than thou at the end of 2019 that have now, they've realized, totally done them wrong. And these are all gig jobs. Being a writer, being an editor (laughs) for a website, being a musician, driving a four-hire car. Like, those are gig jobs. You mean not consistent nine-to-five work required. Right. Shocker. Okay, this next one is phenomenal. Oh, you this, this is the smugness please. built into this quote. You have built this up in my mind. Do not you're, disappoint. You're going to hear one quote in here from Lorena that is clip four. Here we go. So we want to ask, you know, what do you have to say sure. to those freelance journalists, those independent contractors who were working sure. and have now lost their jobs because of AB5, your bill? First of all, it wasn't a job. These aren't jobs. These are freelance positions that may be three hours a month. And it may be 300 hours a month. It was how they were and, supporting themselves. And not, all, not all. Sometimes it was a site. In fact, most people working for SB Nation, which is Vox, which is a highly funded news organization, um, were doing part-time blogs. You know oh, what I, she knows a lot. Money apparently. is money. <laughs> what, what do you, who you are you to say, to I didn't need that part-time job? They were, it wasn't, oh, Louis, it wasn't a job. You're oh, using my God. It wasn't a job. You know what I want to tell you guys? Go <laughs> suck a big fat one, okay? Go suck a big fat one. Dude. You don't get to do that. How, I mean, how frustrated are you getting already? I got... I just... I get really frustrated when somebody purports to know more about me than me. Right. right? Like, that wasn't a job, and <laughs> you didn't build that. I may not <laughs> like everything that Louis Fair does, and you may not like everything John, John does, but Louis's an expert on Louis, and John's an expert on John. Absolutely. So, yeah. And the fact that you didn't think, even if it was part-time, that they were clearly working for a reason. Like, nobody works, nobody just works to work, right? Like, (laughs) you work because you need a paycheck. You work, maybe you enjoy your employment. Who are you to say you didn't need that job? And it wasn't even really a job. Apparently, she, she knew Everyone, though, that was going to be affected by this and knew all their trade-offs in all of their ways. And so... If I can say one thing to our listeners, it's that elections matter, right? Mm. These people were elected. Unbelievable. This Lorena was elected by people in this (laughs) state. And she did what she was supposed to do, craft legislation. And this is what you get, a very rushed piece of legislation. It went so fast, most of these groups couldn't even put together any kind of lobbying against it. It got pushed through the legislature so quick. Mm. And it was so uh, ill-prepared for all the rest of the fallout. That really wasn't a job. But um, you you get to a little bit of a heart of the matter of what I've been advocating for for a long time, which was stop down-ticket voting. It's a terrible idea. Many of the people who are probably voting for her... Can you explain it to people what that means? So you get this endorsement sheet from a political party. Let's say it's the Democrats. And they have a whole host of endorsed items right down the middle. It goes from president all the way down to dog catcher and all the propositions and all the bond measures. And they say, 
we support this, so therefore you should vote for it. Mm-hmm. And people have checked out, and they are not reading for themselves right. where these people stand on issues. Are they even qualified for the positions? They're more than likely just hacks, and they have no business in our state legislature. If you want to know the definition of a hack, we're playing one for you right now. This lady is a total <laughs> political hack. Absolutely. Okay, this next clip. Apparently, they're going to talk about a number three. Where does she rep? Uh, Southern California. Some, I forget where. I forget the area. I'll Google it. Um, this next clip talks about the number 35 because I guess through a lot of discussion, they came up with the notion that if as long as you as a freelance writer write 35 pieces or less, you can still be an independent contractor. San Diego. Okay. So it makes sense. There you go. So here's that's why they're talking about 35 in this clip. Here we go. Curious to know where you got that number 35. What, what was the rhyme or reason to that? Well, first of all, first of all, take it back. If you are a small business and a true independent business and a freelancer, you don't have a limit. You can contract with as many different publishers as many times as you want throughout the year. What we said is if you're not, if you're truly just working for one organization, that you have to limit that. And we had negotiations with a, a number of journalist groups um, to say, what does that look like? If you work for somebody once a week, are you an employee? You have to limit that. Why? You're never answering why. Right. I mean, we know better. We, Bobby yeah. was bringing up some pretty good, darn good points as to why, but it's all just under the auspices of you must, you have to. It's for your own good, i.e., we know you don't. It's terrible. Here we go. Number clip well, number six. Well, oh no, go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I was saying it before, license. Yeah. License. Yep. Should we license journalists? And if so, why? Why? I mean, then you have to pass a test to be a free, free speech journalist? No. Let me you ask shouldn't. you this. What test did Lorena Gonzalez have to pass to become an assemblywoman? Uh, nothing. Uh, uh-huh. The endorsement test. Yeah. Interesting. The Democratic litmus test. Interesting. Clip six, race to the bottom. Curious to know where you got that number 35. Sorry. Mr. Oh, no. Uh, oh, something must have happened in the clips. We'll go to the next one. Okay. Called Isn't It a Choice? Their choice? Wouldn't that be my choice to decide if I want to work for that company? I mean, you, AB5 has really taken the choice away from me, and it's been made for me before I've even gotten a chance to step up to the plate. Well, absolutely. Is it your choice if you want to work for less than minimum wage? Yes. Do we allow that? It's Is my it- choice if I want to have a full-time job or if I want to have a 9-to-5 job, if I want to work in an office or my home. That's still your choice. That's mm. still your choice. But what we don't allow is companies to... We don't allow. Mm-hmm. She, the, oh, I'm sorry. There, uh, no, I shouldn't she, have stopped it. She, she brought out a good point, yep. right? It's a very conservative point. It is. No, these newscasters were, they were hot. They and were then, tipped. Uh, she, and then uh, Gonzalez brings up minimum wage, minimum wage, which is a bad, well, in my book, it's a bad point because of course. it shouldn't be there. Of course. Right. And she's using a piece of crap. <laughs> to legislation defend, to defend, to defend this <laughs> yeah, thing, right? Totally. <laughs> totally. You should be able to work for less than minimum wage. Like that should be your choice and right. Totally. I, Sorry. I'll start it from the beginning because, but so we can hear that point again because it's a classic one. 
their choice? Wouldn't that be my choice to decide if I want to work for that company? I mean, you, AB5 has really taken the choice away from me, and it's been made for me before I've even gotten a chance to step up to the plate. Well, absolutely. Is it your choice if you want to work for less than minimum wage? Do we allow that? It's Is my it- choice if I want to have a full-time job or if I want to have a 9-to-5 job, if I want to work in an office or my home. That's still your choice. That's still mm. your choice. But what we don't allow is companies to say, we will only hire people who are willing to give up their 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 protections for minimum wage for overtime uh, it, it's let's take it way back right this is labor law in the united states in general see now now we're getting to where bobby's talking about in terms of unionization and her real main thrust for this this is just setting the stage right mm-hmm. so that more people can unionize right exactly isn't that the whole point of this would seem to be the case wouldn't it one might think it's it's the what's funny is when it comes to abortion it's my choice my choice my choice but when it comes to i i would like to work under minimum wage cuz having a job is better than having no job you don't get to make that choice i make this argument to people all the time libs are lib, libs progressives are notorious for dining what i call dining at the libertarian buffet they want, they want to impose liberty and freedom. I want a little bit of this in here and a little bit of that in there. But every, that's not liberty and freedom, right? But they're notorious for imposing that ideology when it suits what they actually want to accomplish and then right. totally abandoning it in most of the cases. People don't understand. You get the ultimate freedom when you actually are given the opportunity to screw up, right? right. When... You can say, man, I shouldn't have taken that job at four bucks an hour. I learned from that when I was younger, and I'm worth more than that. So I'm going to only take jobs that are within this price point, right? Right. And you get freedom there, and out of you end up the most free. The, the more, the more you're shielded and protected by government and everybody else, the less free you are. The more you're dependent on Mm -hmm. the government teat for Mm -hmm. your medical or your banking or your drugs or your monthly paycheck, the more you're dependent on somebody else, the less independent you are. It's like living at your parents' house, right? You can be 19 years old and an adult, but you live under their roof and you're probably under their rules, it's kind of hard to fight back when you don't have your own home to go to, mm-hmm. right? And once you move out, you have your ultimate autonomy from them, and they can't tell you anything mm-hmm. if you choose to live your life that way. All these things just make you more dependent on the government, right? And the government, mm-hmm. I think what the government actually wants here, uh, unionization, sure. But I bet there's a lot of these jobs that don't pay tax. They don't have back to the power and control. They right. don't control the situation to the degree that they want. Uh, but a lot of these people probably don't meet, you know, maybe if you're super, super part-time like that, you might not even meet the 1099 threshold right. or 600 bucks That's or right. whatever. Right? That's right. Um, or you might, but you might not get 1099. And then it's up to you on an honor system to then declare all that money you make. You're going to love this next clip, Louie, because she's telling small business owners just how, you know, what, what things cost. It costs nothing to do a sole proprietorship. This, you know. Where they can stick it? Yeah, here oh, we go. Okay. Here we go. The government is telling them, 
you don't actually know how to negotiate for yourself, and so we're going to step in and help you. But other, but some of these people um, that are affected by this are saying, no, we love the way that our work system was set up. In we, fact, we, have, we, have, we said, have a little bit of sound. But, but let's be honest, I, I want to take that back, though. This bill specifically says you can be self-employed. You can have a business and contract but, well, with a business. Well, that costs them money to have to incorporate and become a business. They don't there are have a lot to of incorporate. It says in their sole proprietor, which doesn't cost a cent. And today, in the governor's budget, those mm-hmm. those folks who want to form an LLC, which usually costs $800 a year, are going to be forgiven this year to do that. So you can be a sole proprietor, which costs nothing. You could be an LLC. And in this year's budget, we're going to provide relief for that. So there are opportunities for people. You pay the mandatory tax every year as an LLC. No, no, but first year you're good. Yeah. So how come good I'm not? How come I'm not grandfathered in this year? Yeah, because I started because you're not yelling at her ago? because you weren't affected it's, by AP five. It's just like signing up with a new cell phone service. You're not a new customer, <laughs> Louie. So we waived the eight hundred. First of all, even when I was a sole proprietor, no, it, was free. it wasn't free. It, no, it was free. No. She said it was free, Louie. I had to go Don't to, argue with I this. I had to go to the county, and Look, I had to file my paperwork, my DBA. Did you have a business else. license? Louis, I have to get your business Louis, license. it's free. She said it's free, so Look. don't argue with her. <laughs> free! But these people don't know how business works. That's where it comes down to, right? She's an idiot. She's that's, an idiot. That, she's never the... started a business. She's never ran a business. California is exceptionally hard to run a small business. And all you've done in a process that's already convoluted. Right is now opened up to a bunch of people that probably don't have business acumen. They want to just work for someone. They don't want to be their own entity. Because I've been a a one-man show managing my books and all that for Mm -hmm. a long time. Mm -hmm. And it is a job to keep up with the different entities in the state, the different fees, the different schedules and calendars. It's free, Louis. (laughs) Louis, it's free. Don't question her. Absolutely insane. Hey. Believe all women, okay? <laughs> I got one more clip. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. One more clip. These are good. This is towards the end of the interview. Because you want to unionize. I'm sorry. I should set this one up. Excuse mm. me. This is a lady who I guess did some contract work for Lorena Gonzalez in translation. <laughs> Was a, is a contractor <laughs> and is not happy. So hold on. Let me, let me start it from the beginning. Because you want to unionize, I should be out of a job. I have the same right to work in this state, just like everybody else. And again, I, all I'm asking is, let me do my job. Let me pay taxes to bring revenue to the state. You're penalizing me for what? For actually being a taxpayer who wants to work and does not want to be on the welfare rolls? I don't want to be on it. I love this country. It makes no sense to me. This yeah. is beyond politics for me. And I think it is for all of us. Yeah. It is about our livelihood at this point. So now she's saying she has lost the ability to make a living because of AB5. And I, I, I'm sorry, and I, I feel that she does feel that way, but I don't think it's true. We have companies who are hiring translators directly. In fact, we have multiple companies who are in favor of this law because they have already been doing the right thing. And they said, we're providing services and employing people, but we're undercut by these companies who don't have to provide those same benefits. Well, those are union translators. No, they're no, parts no, of, they're paying into not. it. Absolutely not. We don't even have union translators except in the court system. We're talking about p- companies that it has nothing to do with union or non-union. It has to do with, are you an employee like or not? She's wrong. You know, the classic lib rebuttal. I don't like what you're saying. 
You're wrong. Well, no, it was just completely invalidating. I feel that she feels this way, but <laughs> she's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I've um I've I've noticed this uh, a lot uh recently where uh, the Democrats have gone over the line, wherever the line was, they've gone into La La Land. And even the very liberal newspapers in this land of ours are not on board. They've lost them. They've lost them completely. The problem it, is no one reads newspapers that's anymore. That's the problem. But they seem to always read the newspaper when it's endorsement time. I don't know what it is. But they endorse these people. I'm sure many of these newspapers endorse this lady. I oh, I'm sure. But you don't realize the hack they become until they get in office and you see their hackery. I think, too, what's so great about interviews like this is, and I'm not saying a lot of people are going to actually listen to this interview, but in general, like you see people on ballots, they got a D next to their name as part of the down ticket voting. Mm. Okay, they're a D. They must be. When you actually hear these people try and articulate an argument and a response to questions about the legislation that they draft, it's horrendous. These people right. are total hacks, and it's a disaster. I think what you see, too, this is a bigger... I, I love these kind of local interviews. Oh, totally. They're usually pretty good. I love town halls. Yes. Like legit town halls. Legit. Not, you legit. know, something... The one where Adam Schiff got booed. Right, right. <laughs> because what happens is when you take these clowns out of the circus and you don't control the environment... From, away you, from their protected their protected little yeah. bubble of rehearsed questions and real softball questions. Big time. You find out who they really are, right? Like this one, this lady is completely agitated from the very beginning. She can't defend anything she did. Right. Or you get Biden at his little town halls with actual just normal Joe questions or <laughs> average Joe yeah. questions, yeah. and he loses it. That's right. Challenges people to push up contests That's and right. fights and everything else. <laughs> That's so true. When you take away the protection of their little, you know, glitz and glam media, the, the media bubble, protection bubble, media yeah. protection, mm -hmm. and you get the questions from the real people, they're so upset true. about stuff. They're like, the average person looks at these things and they go, this doesn't make any sense. Why do we do this? Right? Uh, you have to believe a giant chunk of people look at this and they're saying, that's dumb. Why did we do that? Exactly. And when you hear someone who's just a giant invalidating interview of, no, 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 that's not true. You don't feel that way. That's not a real job. That wasn't a real paycheck. I, I did you a favor. You just want to slap them. <laughs> oh, man. It's so arrogant. It is unbelievably arrogant. And you're, you literally are playing with people's livelihood. But, the smug, but see, they're just such in a smug bubble. That they have no clue. Well, it goes back doing. to the righteousness argument I've always had. You know, people ask me, well, you know, like, you know, Bobby still believes Hillary Clinton's going to run and maybe come out of the woodwork, right? And it's like, why would you run again after losing twice? And it's, well, these people have such a sense of righteousness that they can't fathom somebody else not thinking the way they do. I am such a believer. And, and, if, I, and if I could express, like conservatism freedom in one sentence it all comes down to there's there's a, a humility in it for me in that i don't have a clue what you guys want i may think i know what you want or what you need but at the end of the day i don't have a clue you do so why don't you guys go do what you think is best for what you need in the marketplace to get it done because i don't know that takes a level of humility a level right. of admitting, 
I don't know what you need. And because of that, I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out what you need. And, and if something I'm going to do is going to affect Bobby, okay, then you can step in. That's right. We, we have a problem at that point. And, and work on it, right? But until what I do is going to affect at the people around me adversely, you know what you need to do. Life. Right. So do it. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. Was that the last clip? That was it. That was terrible. <laughs> I mean, that interview was a disaster. Now I kind of want to go back and watch the entire yeah. thing. It's on there. On, it's on YouTube. If you search for Lorena Gonzalez, K-U-S-I, I believe was the news station interview, you'll see it. And it's about 20 minutes long, and it's worth every second. I love, too, that it's female journalists, totally. right? Because there's can't, none of this Can't come at that stuff. angle. No. That's right. No. I can't, can't say that. And they're not exactly happy. You, no. could, you could hear it. And it is funny. These are These are historically liberal jobs, That's right? That's right. Journalism, uh, Vox. Vox is an online oh, when I tabloid, read that, liberal tabloid. There was like, I'll be honest, there was Musicians. like a little bit of sweet justice. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but I will. Yeah. Because it's like, these are the people who were writing articles in support of all of these sorts of candidates. Now one of your, your chosen ones kind of stabbed you in the back. Whoops. Awesome. Good stuff. That about do it? I got a crossfire for you guys. Oh, all right. Let's bring it on. All right. So I'm going to present a nice little story for Louie and John, and they're going to debate on whether they are pro or con on the subject matter. They're going to... And while you explain, we're going to do a little Rochambeau to see who goes out who's going to go. So whoever wins the Rochambeau will choose whether they're pro or con, and whoever loses has to take the opposite stance on the matter. And usually, we pick silly little things just so we can have something to laugh about. And I have such a thing Oh boy. John is first. John's first. Okay, so I'll get to choose. So... It was Michelle Obama's birthday just recently. <laughs> I, I saw this. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but this is a funny And one. the Trumpster decided the Trumpster. to give her a very heartfelt... Believe me, folks. Uh, ...heartfelt birthday present in which he reversed <laughs> Michelle Obama's healthy nutritional uh, standards... Believe me. ...for our school system in which... We all remember uh, the students hated. Yeah, they hated the food that Michelle Obama gave to them. That's right. So, was this a good idea, a bad idea, to set a new standard by the Trump administration? So, I definitely think it was a good idea to roll back the intrusion that was Michelle Obama's mandate as to what should be done with the food, because. Look, I understand the classic argument of these are children. They're not necessarily on their own going to make good food choices, etc. What's really needed in these sorts of situations, and I'd be the first to say, it probably on how it was done before didn't come with a high level of transparency. But what's required in all of these is greater levels of transparency. Who's providing the food, calorie content to parents. I I get all the arguments. People aren't going to pay attention, etc., The most you can hope for and do is transparency in order to be informed about the choices that are being made in a public school system for the types of foods that you're ingesting or your kids are ingesting, and then make decisions accordingly. Changing, quote-unquote, arbitrarily, 
for some other reason that we never really found out about with Michelle Obama, that wasn't the way to go about it. So I'm a fan. Louis. I'm also a fan of it happening on her birthday. <laughs> Louis, you are in favor of Michelle Obama's previous uh, standards. Yeah, how do I get behind that? <laughs> it was a good standard. The best standard. <laughs> the best standard. I don't know exactly what the standard was. I was well out of school by the time the Michelle Obama nutrition school standard came. But I have to assume she had the interest of children. Uh, she had the best interest in the children when she came up with it. Always. I'm sure she consulted with many experts. I'm sure that a, a diet rich in carbohydrates and bread and rice and filler <laughs> is good. And nice sweet fruit is even better. Um, I wish I could speak more intelligent on the topic. I don't know what the food elements were of her system. Mainly cardboard. but continue. Probably a lot yeah. of cardboard. I have to believe it was government first and children second. Pretty much. But the government knows best. Always. And I think they're the best influence on the children. From common core math to what they put in their bodies, the government should control all of that. Yay, government. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the winner? Nobody knows because oh, it's man. a stupid the kid, argument. The kids are because they could have fish sticks again. <laughs> yes. Yay, kids. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> that was terrible. That was terrible. I didn't even know what to BS on that. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, good, that's because her thing was BS to begin with. So how do you BS on BS? I mean, total Trumpian move right on her on birthday. On her birthday. Oh, Classic. Man. I mean, I don't even know where to go with that one. It was a genius move. that. <sighs> I want to. I, I want to see if I could find a list of the foods that what were like, is part of it. Oh my goodness! I don't know though. I might have to dig deep. He essentially just kind of rolled back on that, on those decisions. I think so. Um, I see some something here from the FDA when she did it. Um, the the students are offered both fruits and vegetables every day of the week, increasing offerings of whole grain rich foods. Of course. Right. Offering only fat-free or low-fat milk. Limiting calories based on the age of children being served to ensure proper portion size. And increasing the focus on reducing the amounts of saturated fat, trans fat, and sodium. See, and this is where I have a giant yeah, disagreement It's a food it. pyramid. It's the it's food the pyramid. BS. It's, it's this fear of good fats. It's the low-fat, non-fat's the way to go. It's it junk nothing that addresses sugar. Um, and, and they're deciding what you eat. I, I think it's, again, I think anything the government has a vested interest in being able to manipulate, they should be out of. Like when you control how food is harvested, grown, what happens, how it's taxed, you shouldn't then get to decide how the entire education system has to buy those things. Right? What a concept. Good luck with that. Okay. I wanted to um, quickly just kind of jump on a small little topic because it's always so near and dear to our hearts, and that is the high-speed rail project. That's true. There's a little bit of an update. Should we call it a toplet? Like a little topic? Yeah, it's a little bit. Just a little bitty toplet. Okay. This one comes from the Fresno Bee. Feds forbid bullet train bids for track systems. California moves ahead anyway. Now what? (laughs) You cannot do that. I don't care. 
Over the objections of federal regulators, the agency tasked with building California's ambitious bullet train project is moving forward to seek bids from companies to lay steel tracks and install required operating systems for a 119-mile stretch of the line through the central San Joaquin Valley. California High-Speed Rail Authority board members voted unanimously Tuesday to issue a request for bids from a trio of pre-qualified teams of companies to install two sets of tracks, as well as systems for electrical power, signals, and communications on the route that is now under construction from north of Madera to northwest of Bakersfield. Or known as Shafter. Okay. I've definitely been to Shafter. Shafter, yes. Engineers and consultants from the state rail authority estimate that the work will cost about $1.6 billion dollars. That's on top of the three contracts that add up to more than $4.8 billion for construction of overpasses, bridges, trenches, and uh, viaducts for the route through Madera, Fresno, Kingsman, and all those places there. Uh, another $290 million was spent for Caltrans to relocate two-mile stretches of Highway 99, about 100 feet to the west between Clinton and Ashland Avenues in West Central Florida. Fresno to make sh- room for the high speed rail, so they had to move the highway to uh, at two hundred what feet, uh, uh, hundred feet of a two mile stretch of no, highway. but how much two hundred ninety million dollars two hundred nine million hundred feet to move a highway in the middle of nowhere, a two lane highway in the middle of nowhere or two lanes each side, a hundred feet over feet. That is crazy. They didn't have to displace neighborhoods. They weren't in an urban setting. If you've ever, once you get past, <laughs> once you get past Castaic on the five, everything is pretty much wide open. Yeah, I was just gonna say Shafter to Madera. Once you get through the pass, you're talking about some open. Now, granted, they had to buy they had to buy land from farmers, but you're talking about open farmland. I mean, there's not a lot. Two hundred and ninety million. Yeah, hundred absurd. That, no. I, I feel like that's a new slogan. You know, we come up with California slogans all the time. Every episode, California. That's crazy. <laughs> I got an idea, though. Why aren't we employing homeless people to build this train? It's funny you say that. Mm. I, sorry, the, right when you said that, the, this comes to mind. I had a friend in college um, on the progressive liberal side, but he had an interesting point. He said, and he was laying out like his general philosophy about welfare state, et cetera. But he also said, however, I think if you're getting welfare of some kind or some assistance, you work. I don't care whether it's your sweep in the street. I don't care whether it's... So to that point, it's a really interesting question. Okay, here's shelter. Here's one of these apartment thing build, buildings we're building for you. Get to work digging for the high-speed rail. Yeah. Like, here's an opportunity. You can work, some, you can work on the rail, right? There's going to be something for everyone. There'll be clerical admin stuff. There'll be actual manual labor stuff. There'll be all sorts of things. Why don't we make why don't we make a mandate to the contractors to hire a certain percentage of homeless people? That's we mandate mean, everything Louis, else. That's mean. We could make the rails great again. You must <laughs> hire at least thirty percent of your of your employed must be homeless. Oh, that's just another another level, Louie. But uh I wanted to address because here's the absurdity. Absurdity, here it comes. How is it that they are defying the federal government and continuing on with building the stretch of uh, yeah. of rail? Okay, so 119 miles of track in the Central Valley as required by the federal grant agreements. They're going to be built in, on a non-continuous five-mile segment. 
Non-continuous. What, what that means, you build five miles of, of, of track, you skip five miles, and then you build another five miles so that you always have this blank area so it's not all connected and therefore not an actual railway that can be traversed by an actual train. So these will become ghost town monuments. Job programs. That people can go look at all, 20 years from now. It's a job program. That's all it is at that They point. found a very interesting way to get around it, and it's so ridiculous. But at some point, they got to build the gaps, right? Mm-hmm. Says who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, says who? No, but I mean, the goal is they want it to function, I'm so, assuming. So <laughs> I, I imagine. I know, I know. This is me imagining. This is me saying it. That they build these five-mile gaps, and then the federal government says, not built to our standards, rip it all out, start over, and now you can build it. I assume this is done when Trump is not president, and then we end up wasting this money and spending even more on it, because the train has to be built. It has to be built now, because we're pot committed, right? I don't what you just are. said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. True. It is, it's, it's pretty bad. But I also wanted to also weigh in on the other bullet train that's happening, which is from L.A. to, uh, to Las Vegas. Okay. Okay. So they had a decision come down from the federal government as well where they could not um, start selling the – actually, the California weighed in said they could not start selling – the uh, low interest bonds yet because they're not yet approved by the federal government to because it's crossing state lines. So they're, they're not approved, so you can't sell. But here, California is disregarding the federal government's mandate and say, well, we're going to start building anyway. So here's this private sector train. They're not allowed to start selling bonds ahead of time right. and, get, and get the money to build the system in which they promised to get it done in three years and it will still be built way before the high, our high speed rail. So it's just kind of silliness all over the place. I, I just don't know anymore. Lots of trains, nothing happening. None of them usable. It's like the uh, Ozzy, isn't Ozzy Osbourne crazy train? Yeah. Basically, basically I, it. I, nobody has a problem with the state just blowing money on train track. That's not usable. As a way to get back at Trump. You know, I've, that's right. Now, that's <laughs> yeah. the critical part. Yes, that's exactly where it is. You're that's using exactly my money to basically, as a, a grudge. This thing's in a death spiral, man. The thing is in a death spiral. Like Trump state. says, you can't, we can't build the choo-choo, so we're going to build it anyway. And leave gaps in the track. That's right. Fun. Absurd. Fun. F U N. I think that wraps it up. I think so. So newer format, less episodes, but longer episodes. Lots to talk about. Catch us on the website. People have been sending us, hey, what the hell happened to you guys? Messages. So we're back. We're back. Um, Follow us on Apple iTunes, on Google Play, on Podbean. Um, The website, CaliStreaming.com, C-A-L-I Streaming.com. And, because you've all missed it, Bobby, take us into the new year. Oh, we're just going to burn it all down. 